And amen. At the end of the letter of 3 John, it says, Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. And so I hope as we do those greetings on occasion here at Cornerstone, you take the chance to learn someone's name and try to remember it and use it. The Lord has a name and he loves it when we use his name. He defends his name. He wants us to glory in his name. And it's great when someone remembers your name, isn't it? But sometimes you don't remember someone's name. So I just say, tell me your name again. Because it admits that I failed in remembering their name, so it humbles me before them. But it also lets them know that I still really care about what their name is. Tell me your name again. So there's a a tool for your greeting one another in the name of the Lord tool belt. Well, in light of that greeting time in which our Lord Jesus is glorified, will you please now turn with me in your Bibles to Obadiah. Obadiah. Obadiah is one of the minor prophets, and they're only called minor prophets because of their length. So we've got minor prophets and major prophets, and it's not about importance, it's about the length of the books as they were originally categorized. Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament, fourth shortest in the Bible. Old Testament is the shortest book. And so it is a bit hard to find as you're getting used to walking through the Bible. When I'm looking for the minor prophets, I usually flip to the middle of the Bible, and then I go to the right, and you're going to pass some big books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And then once you get through the big books, you get to the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Obadiah. In my Bible, it's just one open page. It doesn't even flip a page either direction. If you get to Jonah, you've missed your exit. (laughs) We preach a cornerstone from both the Old and New Testaments because it's one big story of God's plan of redemption for the whole world. And this is actually a really exciting moment for me. Uh, Raise your hand if you were here and you've been regularly attending Cornerstone since 2010. How many have been regularly attending? Okay, okay. A good amount of hands. In 2010, uh, we preached through Malachi. And almost every year, we've preached one minor prophet. So uh, next Sunday, we will finish preaching through Obadiah. And in our church's history since 2010, we will have preached through every minor prophet. So this is the last one. We save the shortest for last, uh, just by God's sovereign will for us. But in the book of Obadiah, we're going to learn a lot about injustice and what God does in the face of injustice. Obadiah will teach us what God does to true injustice. And today we'll look at the first half of Obadiah, the first 14 verses, and they're also reprinted on the back of your bulletin if you need them. Let me pray first, and then I will read Obadiah verses 1 through 14. Heavenly Father, Abba, Father, you hear us when we pray. You have gathered your sons and daughters together for worship as a church family. You've allowed us to love each other, to pray with one another, to rejoice with one another, to greet one another, to sing praise to you with one another. It is such a joy to hear the voices of your children singing songs. 
We've prayed. Lord, we've given offering to you. And we've trusted in you. And you've already done great work in our hearts. But now as we open your word for the preaching of your word, give us ears to hear from you. Give us eyes to see your glory. And give us faith to trust you in joyful obedience of how you would have us respond to your word this morning. Thank you that you're going to do great things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Obadiah, verses 1 through 14. This is the good and glorious word of our Lord. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord. And a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Let me pause there after reading the first four verses. We'll read through the rest of it in a little bit. But in the first four verses, we learn some things about God. And the main thing we see is that God is aware of what's going on. So our first point this morning, what does God do in the face of injustice? Point number one, God sees. God sees injustice. He sees it. He's aware of it. So God sees. He sees all injustice. He's watching. He's not caught off guard. He is sovereign. God is like what some children think about Santa Claus. He knows if you've been bad or good. Haven't heard that song in a few months. Praise the Lord. But uh, children who learn of the story of Santa Claus, it's he knows. He knows what you've done. If you've been good or bad, he knows when you're sleeping and when you're awake. He's sort of aware generally of how you have been behaving lately. Well, that's that thought of Santa Claus. Well, God is much more aware than that. God is omniscient. He not only knows generally how you're doing, or generally how the world around you is doing, or generally how the nations are doing. He knows every thought that every person had today. Let me say that again. God knows every thought you've had today. Every thought you've had this year. He knows every sinful thought you've thought. Every moment of envy Every incident of bitterness, every jealousy, every lustfulness, every desire for something outside of God's boundaries, his beautiful boundaries for us. He knows every one of those, but he also knows every moment of hopeful faith, every act of faith, every thought, Lord, I will trust you in this, every joyful fruit of the Spirit growing in your heart. He sees it. He knows it. He knows all of that. He is omniscient. God knows what you want for lunch today. And many of you don't even know yet. I don't even know yet. God knows what you want 
for lunch. And this is taught all throughout Scripture. And God in Obadiah has had enough with the injustice of the nation Edom, and he sees it. But we're not just talking about one geopolitical incident in Obadiah. Psalm 139, verse 4, particularly powerful on our first House of Prayer Sunday, says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. He knows the words you're going to pray. And Matthew 10, verse 30, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, very few of you know how many hairs you have on your head. Some of you have zero or three. But the rest of us can't count. And yet God is omniscient. He knows everything he sees. And in a world full of injustice, this is really important news. That God sees injustice. Even the ancient injustice of Edom, God sees it. And this is really good news. And here's why it's really good news. It is really good news for victims of injustice. The fact that God sees every unjust act. He knows who is at fault. He knows who the oppressor is and he knows who the victim is. That's really good news for the victims. And if you have been victimized, God knows exactly how, when, and by who. He knows. He sees it. This is also really bad news for those who engage in injustice. Really bad news for oppressors. It's really bad news for me when I abuse my power in my home or you when you abuse your power at work or your neighbor when they abuse their power in the neighborhood or your boss when they abuse their power or government officials when they abuse their power. It's really bad news for oppressors because we have sinned. We have all oppressed others. And so God sees injustice. That's our first point. And it's really powerful news. It's good news for victims. It's bad news for oppressors. We need to look a little bit longer at verse 1 if we're going to understand all of Obadiah for this Sunday and the next Lord's Day. Look back at verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. So in verse 1, actually took me like two hours of studying this week to figure out what is exactly going on there. Who's talking when? And the quotes actually help, but, and so do the pronouns, the we and things like that. But the word vision there, a vision, right? That's a general term for God's revelation to a prophet in the Old Testament. And sometimes it's a, it's a vision, like Daniel sees a vision uh, in Daniel chapter 8 of a ram and a goat. And so he's like, I have a vision of a ram and a goat. That's not this. This is a general term for when God gives a message to his prophet for his people. So God thought in human history there was so much injustice going on in Edom and what Edom had done to the other nations that God says, I've seen it and I am now speaking to the whole world about it. And thousands of years later, the whole world knows about this injustice. God sees it. So that's vision. And it's a vision to God's people, but it's about Edom. Look at the second line. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. 
Let's think about Edom for a minute. Edom was another country. It was southeast of Israel. And they had a bad relationship that went back generations. Some of you know that. There's some family disputes that go back generations. Uh, We have one as a country with England, right? We go back about 250 years with England in our history. But we still interact with England every once in a while. It's mostly peaceful. Even last November when we faced England in the group stage of the World Cup, And we tied them 0-0, which they called nil-nil. And which was actually a huge win for us because they were expected to beat us. So we have this relationship with England. Yeah, 250 years ago we fought a war and we won. Just as a reminder. (laughs) But we still have this relationship. Okay, Israel and Edom go back way further than that. There is so much generational history between those two nations because they go all the way back to Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau. We go back with England 250 years, but Israel and Edom go back to Jacob and Esau, which at the time of the writing of Obadiah is 1,300 years. 1,300 years of that sibling rivalry or animosity or trying to get along but not always get along. You may remember about Jacob and Esau that Esau, the firstborn, had his birthright and he came home so hungry that he traded his birthright for a bowl of stew. So Esau neglected and declined God's blessing in his life. Jacob got the promises and the blessings. Jacob's name becomes Israel, and he becomes his offspring, the nation of Israel. The people of Israel go into the promised land, and Esau's descendants move southeast and become the people of Edom. And over the centuries, Edom would watch as Israel had famous kings, as Israel moved into the promised land, as Israel had success over all of their enemies for a time. Israel and Edom, they go back and forth and they interact, but there's this division over 1,300 years. And later in our message, we'll learn how bad things got. But verse 1 tells us the situation. So verse 1, one more time. The vision of Obadiah, that's the prophet, the man, Obadiah, who's going to bring this prophecy to Israel about Edom. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. So Edom has a bad reputation. They've been unjust towards Israel, but they've also been unjust towards all of their neighbors. The Lord hears a report. The Lord has a report, and then a messenger is going around. Look at that last line. A messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. So evidently, the other nations are fed up with Edom and all of the injustice Edom has participated in. And they're getting messengers to go around and say, hey, everybody, get your swords ready. Let's all rise up against this awful, oppressive nation. They have just had it with Edom. There's a rally cry. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. And, and when you think about this, it's really actually hard to find a country that every other country around them hates. I mean, it's actually pretty hard to get that unpopular, isn't it? I was thinking of the war between Russia and Ukraine right now, and in the news, and as you follow the news, basically most countries are siding with Ukraine, but even some countries are siding with Russia. So even Russia isn't the most unpopular country like Edom was. Edom 
was so awful, so prideful, so unjust that they had cut off all of their friends and allegiances and every single other nation was an enemy. That's how ugly their wickedness got. They were a nation of injustice and God sees that. And so, friends, for you, if you've suffered injustice, this is really good news because God knows. He sees it. He has heard your cries. He knows who the victim is. He knows who the oppressor is. If you have a battle at home, God knows where the injustice is. If you have a battle at school and you're regularly facing injustice for your faith or whatever other reason, God sees that. He is on the side of the victim always. He is for you, not against you. At work, God knows who's right and who's wrong. He can see every heart. And that's comforting. Isn't that good news that God sees all injustice? Amen? Amen. But if you have done the harming, if you have engaged in injustice, if you've used your power for yourself and hoarded it and not shared with others and not loved others in Jesus' name, if you've been selfish, God sees that too. And it's good. May the Lord expose our own hearts if we have engaged in injustice. And the same goes for countries. God knows where the United States has been just in many of the things the United States have done over the last 250 years. But God also knows if there is any injustice that the nation could be blamed for. God knows our track record. I don't, but God knows where nations are just and where they are unjust. He sees it perfectly. And when we're confused or when we're debating it, we can trust God that he knows. We can leave that in God's hands. So God sees injustice. That's point one, primarily from verse one. But then God acts. He, point two, humbles. God humbles. So point one is God sees the injustice. Point number two is God humbles. Look at verses two through four again. Speaking to Edom, a nation known for its injustice, listen to the Lord. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. So what was the evidence of how bad Edom had gotten as a nation? Their pride was seen by everybody else. Edom thought, look at me. Look at how great we are. Look at how awesome we are. Look at those lowly people. Look at how awesome we are. Can everyone come around and tell me how great I am? That was Edom. So verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling. That's a geographical reference. Edom actually did live in a mountainous region, so they were literally higher up than others. They literally looked down, sort of like I am right now, literally looking down, right? They were up on a hill, literally looking down on their nations around them, even their allies, and they were emotionally and spiritually thinking, I'm better than they are. We're better than 
them. So the physical reality of their geographical location was a spiritual reality in their hearts. And pride is such a visible sin, isn't it? You know, when someone walks around thinking they're awesome, hoping everybody points it out. Great job. I know. You see it. You see pride. And it's such a visible sin. It's why pride is one of the worst sins. Pride in a nation is really ugly, but pride in individuals too. Pride is when we say, as sinners, when we say, look at me, look at me, tell me how great I am. Notice my greatness, ascribe my greatness. The heavens declare that when I woke up this morning, the world got better. That's what pride does. And if you don't say those words, that's what everyone else sees when you're walking around all prideful. And what does God do? Point to he humbles the proud. That's what God does. He humbles the proud. Edom, you're up high. I'm going to bring you down low. God humbles the proud. Always. Now he doesn't do it instantly, but he always does it eventually. Look at verse 2. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. God is saying, you think you're big? I'm going to make you small. And pride isn't just a national sin. It's an individual sin. And we have all wrestled with pride. God humbles the proud. Uh, My favorite author is C.S. Lewis, and he has a couple quotes I want to read to help us diagnose our hearts. Because it's easy when you read later about what Edom was doing, it's easy to judge and say, look at how bad they were. And then pride wells up in our hearts and says, I'm so glad I'm not as bad as Edom. That's what pride does. Pride says, and pride goes around all the time saying, look at how bad and awful those people are. Because that's what pride does. Pride wants to feel better. So C.S. Lewis has two quotes that I want to read to help us diagnose our own hearts, our own prideful at times hearts. So Lewis says this, and maybe this is you. And one warning before I read it. If you start thinking, someone else I know needs to hear this. You're getting it wrong. (laughs) Pride gets no pleasure out of having something. Only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or being clever or being good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If someone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. So he says, it is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. That was Edom's heart. And it was so bad as a nation that God steps in with great judgment on Edom. But is it in your heart? Is it in my heart? Where we have no pleasure when we hear that our friend got a raise. Our friend's going on vacation. Our friend won a trophy. Our friend got promoted. Our friend was praised in front of the class. And we hear that and we go, oh, but it should have been me. Pride cannot celebrate the joys of others. It compares. It's the pleasure of being above the rest. And so that's what pride does. It alienates us from other people. When we're prideful, it alienates us because we have to be above everyone else or we're not going to enjoy our life. But it also makes our heart unable to love God, which is the even more deadly sin of pride. C.S. Lewis again. Think about God and how pride alienates us from God. The sin of thinking we're greater than everyone else. He says, in God you come up against something 
which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you don't know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. In Israel's day, they struggled with pride themselves, but Edom was so prideful, so self-centered, so unable to love others because of their pride, and also unable to love God because of their pride, that God decided it had gotten so bad, I am going to step in and bring them down. Verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? And God's answer for Edom is, I will bring you down to the ground. That's what God does. In the face of injustice, point one, God sees it. Point two, God humbles the proud. Interestingly, in the Old Testament, pride and injustice go together often. So God sees and God humbles, but now we'll turn to what he does for the victim. Third point is God defends. God defends. God sees, God humbles, and God defends. Verses 5 through 7 is the language of what God is going to do to the oppressor. Verse 5. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed, would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? All right, pause here for a moment. Grape gatherers in Israel's history were supposed to gather just what they needed and leave some on the edges for the poor and needy in their community so that there would be uh, social services available for those who did not have their own field and they could come glean from those who had big fields of grapes. And so grape gatherers were supposed to leave an edge around for those who were needy in their community. And the prophet Obadiah is bringing this message to Edom poetically to say to them that, Edom, you don't treat people that way. You don't care about the nations around you. And this poetically points that out, which leads to verse 6. Listen to 6. How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. And verse 7. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. So one of the reasons why Edom historically didn't have all the privileges of Israel is because God had been judging them for their sins, for their selfishness, for their pride, for their acts of historic injustice, which they engaged in in Israel's day. And so we see in these verses that Edom practiced thievery Well, they've been robbed. Edom practiced hoarding and not sharing, and they've been hoarded by other nations. Edom had made alliances, but as verse 7 says, those at peace with you have deceived you. All of Edom's allies stopped trusting Edom because all they cared about were themselves. They've lost all their friends. And when you only think about yourself, when we give in to the sin of pride and we want everyone around us only to tell us how great we are instead of being a friend who loves us and saying, hey, can I point some things out to you? We lose all of our friends and our allies. Nations do 
and individuals. So God did this and would do this to Edom. And God's going to do that to all injustice because God defends victims. Because Edom was a victimizer, they will be victimized. You thieves will have your stuff stolen. You attackers will be attacked. You liars will be lied to. You took advantage and now you're going to fall into a trap. And yes, it is poetic justice, but this isn't just to show how creative God is when he brings judgment on a nation. It's not to show off how interestingly God comes up with judgments for nations. This is to comfort the victim. God comforts victims. He defends victims. When there's a victim and a victimizer, God knows and he will bring justice. And when there is true injustice happening, we need to side with God and call it out. When a teacher is engaging in injustice in a classroom, let's side with the victim. When a principal is, when a boss is, when a governor is, when there's true injustice and we can see and it has been vetted properly with evidence, there's true injustice, we come alongside and partner with God in siding with the victims and defending the innocent because that is God's heart in the case of injustice. But we need wisdom and discernment because injustice is the language of our culture these days. We need wisdom and discernment to know what true injustice is and when something is claimed as injustice but isn't. And we need the Lord to help us know because not all claims of injustice are true. There are fake hate crime hoaxes that you hear about in the news. Of course, we can't side with the person who perpetrates a fake hate crime hoax because they are the oppressor and there is another victim in that moment. So we need to side with the victim. We need wisdom and discernment to know the claims of injustice, what are true and what aren't. And that means we can't come to quick decisions. We need to listen. And those are going around the country selling a lot of books and getting a lot of media attention, claiming injustice here and injustice there. And where they are falsely claiming there's injustice, well, they are now the oppressor. And God will bring justice to them for how they have profited off of false claims of injustice. God sees it. We can't trick him. And he defends true victims. But in true injustice, where you see it, let's side with God by defending the innocent and the victims. Because God defends. Edom engaged in injustice. And they face the consequences. So when it comes to injustice, three points so far. God sees it. God humbles the proud and defends the victim. But when is he going to do it? When would he do it for Edom? When is he going to do it for the whole world? Every act of injustice that has ever happened is going to be judged one day, which is point four, God has a day. God has a day. This is in verses 8 through 14, and it's really good news. Let's work quickly through verses 8 through 14. God sees injustice, he humbles the proud, he defends true victims, and God has a day. Verse 8, will I not on that day, whatever day God has planned, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau. Okay, stop here. God has a day of judgment for Edom. 
And he has a day of judgment for every act of injustice, for every oppressor. They will be stopped one day, not instantly, but eventually. Hitler would not last forever. God had a minute planned for Hitler, and it happened exactly as God planned it. Oppressive countries will not win forever. Prideful leaders will all be brought down. He says, will I not on that day? God makes a promise for Edom that their sins had a judgment day. But before that day, until that day comes, God promises justice. Look at verse 9. And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Edom's pride and strength was symbolized in their strong army. And God says, your mighty men, they're going to lose in battle. You think you're so strong, I'm going to show you how weak you are. You think you're so great, I am going to bring you down. Your mighty men will be mighty no more. But it's not just physical strength and the size of army that God opposes. He doesn't oppose all strength. Some strength is used for good. Some armies are used for good. It is specific acts of injustice. And fortunately, God is always specific. Well, now in verses 10 through 14, we get the specific list of judgments against Edom. And next week, we'll balloon out to see God's judgment on all of the nations of the world and all of the sin in the world. But today, specifically, we're staying in the injustice of the nation of Edom. Verse 10. Because of the violence done to your brother, Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. Verse 10 says that they did violence to Jacob, their ancestor, their relative, their distant relative, but you did violence to Jacob. Violence to the nation of Israel. Verse 11 says, There was a day when Edom, you watched, you stood aloof. Injustice was happening and you kept your mouth shut. And I saw what you did. There was a day when strangers carried off Israel's wealth and Edom, you watched. You were just like the oppressors. Well, throughout history, Israel was invaded multiple times. Most famously, Jerusalem was sieged in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. The Babylonian Empire took over the southern region, and the center of that was Jerusalem. And Edom knew it was happening, and they didn't just sit back and watch. They, at the end of verse 11, were like one of them. Well, you don't have to turn there, but in Psalm 137, we get a poetic recollection of what was going on during the siege of Jerusalem. Psalm 137 Verse 7. Listen to what Edom was doing. It says, Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites. In other words, remember what they did. The day of Jerusalem, that moment of injustice, what Edom did, Lord, remember it. Here's what they did. The psalmist says, How they said, Lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. So Edom who was ancestrally related to Israel, all the way back to Jacob and Esau, they watched Israel fall and they were watching it like a movie and they were yelling, yeah, get them, crush them, level them, pillage them, harm them, 
take advantage of them. Crush them. They were cheerleading on the sidelines. Go crush Israel. Okay, look at verse 12 now in Obadiah. God's warning to us when we do that and to those who gloat at the day of misfortune of anyone else. Verse 12. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. Verse 14 is really, really telling. Israel was attacked by the Babylonian Empire. And they were plundered. And they were pillaged. And they were victimized. And the worst kinds of R-rated and harder offenses were happening against particular victims in Jerusalem that day. They were victimized and they were slaughtered. And then when some of the people, women and children included, tried to run away as refugees... What did Edom do? They took advantage of the refugees who were escaping attack and pillage and violence and abuse. They captured them and robbed them. They victimized victims. Imagine someone saying right now about what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. I I know of someone from a local ministry we support who got on a plane last Friday And went to go serve the refugees of Ukraine who have gotten out and who have escaped the war going on and who need help for their trauma that they've just experienced. And so one of the local ministries we support just sent someone to do that. But imagine someone saying, tomorrow I'm getting on a plane and I'm flying to the border of Ukraine. And when the women and children come, I'm going to steal from them. I'm going to harm the refugees. I'm going to profit from them. That's what Edom was doing. When the Babylonian Empire came in and sieged Jerusalem, the victims left and ran away, and Israel said, I can make a few bucks off of this victimization. That is what pride does in us when we let it fester, when we let it go unchecked, when we think we're great. Everyone else around us becomes an opportunity for us to gain And that pride in our hearts separates us from God because when we're always looking down, we can't see the God who is above. So what kind of person does this? Edom did. They profited from injustice. But point four is God has a day. Amen? God has a day when every act of injustice will be paid for Which is why, as we study Obadiah, we so desperately are reminded of how we needed Jesus. The times in our life when our pride has welled up and we have pushed others down, we have mocked others, or or the new thing in social media sometimes, when a, a famous person who's politically known dies, everybody dances on their grave now. Oh, 
Of course they deserve to die. Look at this dead famous person. That's the new thing, to gloat in the day of someone else's misfortune. But is it in our hearts? As we read this, is pride in our hearts? Is selfishness in our hearts? When you read Obadiah with me, did you see yourself? Pride or sin or a failure to love well. Well, we come away from these 14 verses knowing that we needed a Savior. And so what does God do to injustice as we close? Four things. He sees injustice, and that's good news for the victims. He humbles the proud and the oppressors. He will, not instantly, but eventually, because there is a judgment day for every act of injustice. And we can trust his definition of justice for it. Third, he defends. He defends the victims. And fourth, God has a day. So before the final day of judgment, which we are all going to stand before, and we're either going to be covered by the blood of Jesus who paid for our sins and we will face no condemnation, or we will stand before a holy God and everything we've ever done will be listed and we're going to pay for that. In eternal separation from God, on that day of judgment, before that final judgment, God had another day. God saw the injustice in the world and he humbled himself. To defend the victims, Jesus became the victim. To fight for justice, Jesus took grave injustice against him. On Good Friday, the God of justice sent his son to the cross to be the victim, to confront injustice so that sinners could be saved. What a day that was. Good Friday, coming up soon as we celebrate as a church. But Jesus didn't stay dead because there was another day. And as we're about to sing, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. What a day that was. That was the day when sin, Satan, and death, the true unjust, the true oppressors were all defeated by our Savior Jesus, so that sinners like us, former prideful, former oppressors, former selfish, we could be saved by Jesus. God will judge all injustice. He has a day. But as we go to the world and tell them of that day, let's tell the world of the other days. Good Friday and Easter Sunday, when Jesus humbled himself and died on a cross But then he was raised on the third day so that you and I could be saved. What does God do to injustice? He sees it, he humbles, he defends, and he has a day. And if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then on the day of judgment, you will hear, well done, faithful servant. Because there will be no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. And until that day, may we, his children, partner with God. When we see true injustice, let's side with God, speak up where we can, and love people in Jesus' name. Reminding the world that there is a day of judgment to come, but that Jesus came and bore the judgment for all of our sins so that we could be set free. What a Savior we have. What a day that's coming one day. Let's pray. Lord, it is not fun to think about injustice. 
It's hard to know where real injustice is happening. And when we see it, Lord, we confess that it's hard to speak up or to know what to say. Lord, we also confess that it's really easy to feel like the victim. It's easy for pride to well up in our hearts, Lord. So Lord, humble the pride out of us and help us see your love for victims. Help us defend victims. Thank you that you see all unjust, all injustice. And thank you, Lord, that you have a day when perfect justice will be meted out. Lord, thank you so much that Jesus burst forth on glorious day from the tomb that he conquered sin, Satan, and death so that we could be set free. Thank you for your message through Obadiah to our hearts this morning. Help us love your justice through Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.